The eye can see there are people, and I am standing at the top step of the Lincoln Memorial, looking toward the Washington Monument and the reflecting pool, which stands before this memorial. There is very little green grass you can see. Every inch of it is practically taken for at least four blocks from this vantage point, and as far as the eye can see to the left and to the right, and people continue pouring in. Hi, this is Bernie Casey speaking, and you're listening to TV Confidential with Ed Robinson. Ed Robertson, along Phil Grice, founder and owner of Archival Television Audio, as we look back on August 28, 1963, the day of the historic march on Washington for jobs and freedom, when more than 200,000 Americans of every age, race, and religion descended on Washington, D.C. to support the passage of the landmark Civil Rights Bill. The audio you are listening to tonight is from the private collection of Phil Grice. And again, we are very grateful to Phil to uh, making this audio available to us. We, we spent the first part of our program uh, tonight, Phil, you know, setting the stage for the march and listening to some of the people in, the, in support of the march. There was some opposition, and you have audio from one of the, most, from one of the strongest oppositions of the march on Washington, and that would be Senator uh, Strom Thurmond. No question. Uh, here you have a man who, I, I, I think he, he was in the Senate for 48 years, mm -hmm. from 1954 until in 2003, uh, and he was an American politician who um, even ran for president in 1948. So he, he was a very powerful figure, but he did so much to oppose civil rights legislation, including the civil rights legislation of 64 and 65 to end segregation and enforce uh, the voting rights of uh, African-American citizens. And I thought this was a, a, a wonderful moment during um, the broadcast uh, of uh, the Civil Rights March on Washington for job equality to have Strom Thurmond's point of view because it sets up something that's from the opposite camp. It not only sets up something from the opposite camp, but there is a very interesting and ironic footnote to Strom Thurmond, which we'll get to in just a bit. But first, this is Strom Thurmond uh, speaking out against the march on Washington, August 28, 1963. My videotape recording, Pete Clapper is standing by with South Carolina Senator Strom Thurmond. Senator Thurmond. Senator Thurman, just what do you think about this demonstration? I think it's uncalled for and unnecessary. The, these people claim they are marching for freedom. They've got more freedom than any people in the world. All of the people in America have. The Negroes here have as good opportunities and better than they have in any other country under the world. They have more automobiles, they have more refrigerators, they have more conveniences, they have more luxuries than they would have in any other country in the world. And when they say they're marching for freedom, they must be marching for somebody else's freedom. And if you do all that they're asking here, it would be taking somebody else's freedom. Senator, do you think this demonstration is going to influence Congress? Not in the least. If they bring a million people here, it, in my judgment, will not influence Congress. At least it should not. The people sent the members of Congress here 
to use their own judgment to do what they thought was right. And I don't care how large a demonstration they bring here, in my judgment, it will not affect the Congress. It certainly wouldn't affect my vote, and I believe that's the way the other members of Congress would feel, too. You know, I, I would uh, like to mention that uh, early on uh, in 1948, Thurman stated, and I quote, All the laws of Washington and all the bayonets of the army cannot force the Negro into our homes, into our schools, our churches, and our places of recreation and amusement. Uh, and even though uh, in the 70s and later he started to moderate his position on race, he continued to uh, defend his early segregationist campaign on the basis of states' rights and the context of Southern society at the time. Um, he uh, never, ever really fully renounced his earlier viewpoints. And uh, as you mentioned, the irony of ironies, six, six months after Thurman's death in 2003, what happened? It was revealed that he had fought, when he was 22 years old, he had fathered a mixed-race daughter with, with the family maid, a 16-year-old. Absolutely unbelievable. So you, you, you talk about hubris, you talk about hypocrisy, you talk about do as I say, not as I do. Uh, it, but just going back to what he said, it just makes you want to shake your head, you know, when he says, from his own particular prison, when he says, you know, that... Uh, uh, blacks at the time had more freedoms than anybody else. Yeah, I mean, this is a time when blacks were being uh, forced to sit in the back of the bus. This is, uh, you know, at, at a time when blacks were not allowed to stay in uh, certain uh, hotels or, or, or patronize certain establishments because, again, of, of segregation laws, which were beginning to fall at the time, 1963, but it wasn't until the Civil Rights Bill was passed in 64 that uh, we, you know, we, we began to see a difference. But even, even today, in fact, just today on Facebook, <laughs> I, I saw a video of an example of how certain you know, racial prejudice still exists in our country today, uh, and it just makes you want to shake your head. And uh, a footnote, uh, Ed, um, he, he not only fathered his mixed-race uh, daughter, uh, S.D.M.A. Washington Williams, uh, with the family maid, uh, but the family maid, Carrie Butler, she was only 16 years old. So that's statutory rape right there. Yeah, I mean, you know, barely double over here. <laughs> Again, it just, uh, it, it, it makes you want to shake your head. Now, you mentioned that there was an immediate rebuttal to Strom Thurmond's opposition on August 28, 1963, and that came in the form of Howard K. Smith. I thought that was fabulous. Well, the question that is bound to occur is, what effect is all this going to have? Undoubtedly, as Senator Thurman said just a few minutes ago, it's not going to influence many votes quickly in Congress or hasten Congress's consideration of the Civil Rights Bill because the men who are now stopping that bill and may hold it back for a very long time are not dependent on demonstrations like this or on much else. However, there's no doubt to uh, an objective observer watching this that it's going to deepen the changed climate, the remarkable on the question of civil rights that occurred this summer here in the United States. And that change in climate has two elements. First, the 
the Negroes in that week in Birmingham seem to have lost all their fear and to have gained a determination, a very strong resolution to achieve uh, first-class citizenship. It's been noticeable that when the speakers here spoke, the biggest cheer went to a speaker who was not one of the leading speakers who said, we don't want our freedom gradually, we want our freedom now. Howard K. Smith, in rebuttal to uh, Senator Strom Thurmond's opposition to the march on Washington as broadcast on ABC News, August 28, 1963. Audio is from the private collection of Phil Grice. And it's interesting, it's not evident in the clip itself, but if you know a little bit about Howard K. Smith, I mean, this... Uh, the matter of, discri- of racial discrimination and segregation, I mean, he, he had very strong feelings uh, on that issue. I love his uh, rebuttal. And, and think about uh, what the actual goals were for um, the um, Afro-American at that time. And it was basic, and it wasn't in their uh, power to have these. It was passage of a meaningful civil rights legislation. It was for an immediate elimination of school segregation, which still existed. It was a program of public works, job training, especially for the unemployed. And it was a federal law prohibiting discrimination in public or uh, private hiring. Now, you know, when you realize that all of this was taking place, especially in the South, that Strom Thurmond say in his videotaped uh, commentary that uh, the uh, Negro had all the rights that everyone else had was so frustrating to hear yeah. because it was so incorrect. Well, you know, I, I know I, I know there's a word you want to say, but because we are on AM, I mean, we cannot say that on, on the air, but I, I, I hear what you're saying. But but going, going back to hypocrisy, Strom Thurmond, do as I say, not as I do. Now let's compare that to Howard K. Smith. This is a man who not only talked the talk, he walked the walk. You mentioned that he had just left his post with CBS News about a year before the march on Washington, and he left his job at CBS over a dispute over a, a, a documentary that addressed civil rights. Right, and uh, in a way, there was a silver lining to his uh, departure because uh, he, he, he stayed at ABC from 1962 to 1979. He had a long, distinguished career at ABC, um, and uh, sometimes there are silver linings to everything that occurs in our life. Um, what would have been if he stayed, you know, with CBS? Because he was, like I mentioned, one of the original Edward R. Murrow boys. He really was one of the stellar Howard K. Smith was up there with the Parthenon uh, journalists of his time. Yeah, Smith left his job at CBS when a, dis- uh, uh, when a dispute d- erupted over a documentary called Who Speaks? for Birmingham, an in-depth investigation over the battle uh, between civil rights forces and the police of Birmingham, Alabama. Smith was an advocate of desegregation, and he concluded his commentary at the end of that documentary by recalling the admonition often attributed to Edmund Burke, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. Smith was told to remove the quote, from the broadcast, he refused to do that, and when the ne- and when CBS refused to support him, uh, Smith made the decision to leave the network. Interesting, you know, we stand on our uh, platform in terms of our own integrity, because at the march was Bob Dylan, who uh, also had a moment of controversy in his young life, 
where he um, refused to uh, not abide by Ed Sullivan's rules to eliminate a particular piece on the show, so he quit. He left. He walked off. So people do stand for their own integrity, and those are two good examples. We're taking a look at how television and radio covered the historic march on Washington, August 28, 1963. Phil Grice is with us with audio of network TV coverage from his private collection. We will carry over this segment into our second hour. All that and more coming up in hour number two of TV Confidential. Stay with us. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.